My dad made hurdles for us to do plyometrics out of PVC pipe and screws. Um, we did that. We made like cones for basketball so we could do ball handling out of PVC pipe, cement, and soup cans. Um, that actually, my, my high school, they still have them there, um, which was crazy to go back and see those things. I was like, wow, flash from the past. But yeah, we, I mean, we, he's made speed ladders. He made, we made a jump box during COVID because we couldn't get one. Like my dad was very handy and uh, he brought us in in creating those things, which was cool because I mean, you get to construct and when you work on, you're doing your jump boxes or you're doing those hurdles, you're like, wow, some serious time and consideration went into making this. So it made the work feel more meaningful, I think, knowing that we had a hand in creating what we're using to, to help get ourselves better. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring current and former professional athletes. They come from all over the world, and many spent their college years studying and playing in the United States. We talk athletics, academics, and because life is so interesting, a little bit of everything else. My favorites, food and cultural differences. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 14-year vet in Europe's professional basketball leagues. I played one year in Switzerland, and I'm currently on my 13th year in Spain with the club Movistar Estudiantes in Spain's top women's league, La Liga Femenina Endesa. All right, it's about that time, so let's get to it! All right, everyone, welcome back to the pod. It's been a hot minute since I have interviewed someone. Almost nine months, as a matter of fact. How that's possible? I don't know. Time has flown by since little Miss Ruby Faye was born. So it's with the happiest of hearts that I bring you today's podcast. You've already heard her dulcet tones, and she is none other but the Nadia Fingal. Former teammate of mine, Stanford graduate, banana bread extraordinaire, ramen chef. She's got a heart of gold. She can hit the three and clean the boards. Basically, what I'm saying is that she does it all. And I'm so excited to let you in on our conversation today. And I do apologize for my intro because it's not updated. I did not play basketball this past season as I have been playing full-time mom. But anyway, I know uh, you'll forgive me. So thank you for your forgiveness. And without further ado, here is Miss Nadia. All right, Nadia Fingal, enough of the chit chat, enough of the jibber jabber. We are here for serious matters, aren't we, Ruby Faye? Yes. Please don't choke on that. <laughs> um, this is the first podcast that I have done since giving birth. And uh, eight months later, we are sitting here on the floor with little eight-month-old Ruby Faye making noise. So we'll see how this podcast goes and how long she uh, lets us record for. But um, anyways, thank you for joining me today, Nadia. And why don't you set the tone? Let me know uh, how you're doing. Uh, You know, set the scene for me. Well, today is a lovely Friday afternoon. No, I'm kidding. Um... (laughs) 
It is my absolute honor to be your first guest after the birth of the beautiful Miss Ruby Faye. Um, but yeah, you know, we're coming to the end of another season, my second with Estudiantes, um, playing Valencia again on Sunday. Um, just um, an exciting time. Uh, happy to be here with you. So, yeah. Amen, because I'm like, oh my gosh, another season is coming and going, and I've been wanting to sit down with you and chat about your career, so I'm so happy that you're here and sharing time with uh, little Ruby Faye. So, uh, first question that I ask all of my interviewees um, is, what is your first sports memory? Uh, doesn't have to be basketball, but whatever you remember. So... My family, well, my father in particular, uh, tried to keep our family very active. So I think, um, oh, one, let's, let's, before any of that, I was the most unathletic child, probably the most unathletic child in my family. I have, was not coordinated at all. I was a little, a little chunky chunk um, <laughs> for a while. Um, I think my first sports memory, Wow. Um, I think before I started basketball, actually, I was doing tennis. Like, we just kind of, like, picked up different things. Like, my dad was super into running, so we ran. Um, we knew somebody at church that uh, gave lessons for tennis, so me and my sister did that as well. Um, and then I started basketball at the age of, like, 9 or 10 as a way to make friends. It really, again, like, I was not an athlete by any means. Um so yeah, that, I mean, that was the reason I started and been going ever since. Um, that is so interesting to hear you say that because obviously I look at you as a, an elite athlete uh, now, um, but you didn't start till you were nine or 10, which is, you know, in today's standards, probably late. Uh, I'm trying to think I started, well, I had two older brothers, so, you know, I was always around basketball, but you are the oldest in your family. So really... I, my, you know, I was going to ask you if you are, were you raised in a sports-minded family? I know your dad was very sports-minded. Maybe your mom not so much. But you're the oldest in your family, so you didn't really have anybody to look up to, anybody to follow. Uh, I had my two older brothers, but in your situation, like, you didn't have an older sibling that you aspired to be like. So, how was it that you? Got into basketball. Well, you just said to make friends, but. Yeah, I, I just think in my own personal situation, I had older brothers to look up to. You didn't. So how did Nadia triumph and get to where she is today? I mean, really? I mean, that's a great question, one I may not even have the answer for. Um, I mean, I, I one thing I really credit my parents on is, like, not never forcing us into anything and really always making sure that, like, if we love the sport, we actually love it and want to continue doing it. Of course, there were moments where I, like, absolutely hated basketball. Um, but, I mean, again, another credit to my parents for, like, providing resources and and just opportunities for, for me to continue. I mean, taking me to camps. Um, luckily, when we started, I was in Los Angeles, and there were a wealth of, of recreational parks and a wealth of, of club teams. I mean, we were... 35 minutes away from UCLA and USC so being able to go to like their their camps for kids during the summer 
that helped a lot um, just to kind of, I mean, in that way, I saw girls that were older than me um, getting connected with camps, getting connected with uh, club teams. I was able to, although I didn't have an older sister, I looked at those girls as my older sister. Um, I can name a few names off my head. Kendall, um, Odera Cheatham, who's playing in, in France right now, like uh, girls that played on, on my club team. I like look up to them, still look up to them, but they were like the vision of the players that I, I aspired to be like. Okay. And did your dad play uh, college sports? Yes. So my dad played um, in college. He played at George Mason in Virginia. Um, and then he went on to play a few years professionally, but he stopped uh, around the time that he met my mom. So okay. I was in the works, you know. <laughs> gotcha. And now that we're talking about this, I remember you telling me one time, like different things your dad would have you and your siblings do at the house. Didn't he make uh, remind? Just tell me if I'm remembering this correctly. But did he make some sort of hurdle for you guys? Or what was like, what was that? So again, like my parents were, well, there's five of us. So um, they have to be very careful with money. <laughs> so we did what we could to, to make sports equipment um, at home. So uh, my dad made hurdles for us to do plyometrics out of PVC pipe and screws. Um, we did that. We made like cones for basketball so we could do ball handling out of PVC pipe, cement and soup cans um, that actually my my high school, they still have them there, um, which was crazy to go back and see those things. I was like, wow, flash from the past. But yeah, we I mean, we, he's made speed ladders. He made we made a jump box during covid because we couldn't get one like my dad was very handy and uh he brought us in in creating those things, which was cool because, I mean, you get to construct. And when you work on you're doing your jump boxes or you're doing those hurdles, you're like, wow, some serious time and consideration went into making this. So it made the work feel more meaningful, I think, knowing that we had a hand in creating what we're using to, to help get ourselves better. That's amazing, and I love it. And now that I know your dad, like I just love it even more. <laughs> I can totally see him out there, probably training with his own kids, getting his own workout in Honestly, as well. <laughs> um, so when, if you didn't start until you were nine or ten, when do you think you realized that you really liked basketball and you could even maybe uh, get a scholarship out of it? Um, I think it was really my sophomore year of high school when I understood what basketball could do for me. I, I mean, I, I loved the sport since then, um, since I really, since I started. Um, but it was, it was my sophomore year where I like kind of started getting, I was on the AUYBL circuit, the Nike circuit for AAU basketball. Um, and I started, I got my first, uh, my first letters um and I, I remember like having the letters in my binder <laughs> like showing them off and it was like some very small school that I, I can't remember granted people getting anywhere is an accomplishment but it was just I just remember like being so happy that I had started getting like the attention and um I mean obviously that added a little fuel to the fire like let's see how how good we can make it um but yeah, it was. It wasn't really until sophomore year that I I kind of understood like, okay, this 
I can use basketball as a tool. It's not just a hobby. It's not just something I do with my dad or I do to make friends anymore. It's really something that could change my entire life. And you did coincide with Brittany Brown, right, at high, in high school. And if you people that are listening to this that follow Liga Femenina Endesa, they probably remember who uh, jump out of the gym mid-range game Brittany Brown is. But you guys went to the same high school for a couple years? So I actually missed her by one year. So my freshman year was her senior year. Um, and I transferred to the same high school that she went to that her father coaches at. Um so we, we miss each other by just a, a hair, but obviously we're, we're still friends. I mean, she would come back to school and she was, again, one of those people that I looked up to, you know, somebody that um, like was on the path that I wanted to be on. She went to FSU. So that was super close to, to school, um, to my high school. And she would come back and it was just great seeing her being able to ask her questions. Um, and she's been a, a good friend and a good role model for me since then. So, okay, you start at 9 or 10, you're you know, six years later, basically, you're receiving your first college letter in the mail. Um, Stanford, when did you even realize, all right, we're back in business, Ruby Faye unplugged the microphone. Um, yeah, so Stanford, I mean, when was, do you even remember when you started hearing about Stanford or how you... You probably saw them on television, I'm assuming, NCAA tournament, things like that. But um, you were living in Florida at the time. Stanford isn't necessarily close by. It's not like it's the uh, hometown university, you know. So, again, being in, in California and starting to watch basketball, like Stanford was obviously a team that I looked up to. <laughs> um, I gave, in middle school, I said that I would get a full – I wrote down like on this sheet – like at the beginning of the year that I was going to get a full ride to Duke or Stanford. And I mean, it happened, which is crazy. Um, But it wasn't until I think it was either, I think it may have been my sophomore year again, that it was a possibility. I remember I was staying in my, uh, I I spent the night at my AAU coach's house and because we were going to some tournament and like, she was like on the way there. Um, And she was like, would you like to go to Stanford? And I was like, uh, duh. (laughs) Like, what kind of question is that? Um, So I guess somebody had contacted her, maybe a coach or something, and she just wanted to make sure it was fine with me before, you know, passing my information along or something like that. But I vividly remember that moment, and I was like, yes. (laughs) Like, why why would you even ask me? Um, But I I guess that was the start of it. And, uh, yeah, things kind of continued from there, just – yeah, it was crazy how simple the the moment seemed, but it changed everything. Um, okay, so obviously if your coach was asking you that question, she knew that academically you were a smart kid and enjoyed school because otherwise I highly doubt that a coach would ask that question. Um, so looking back on your high school years, what do you remember about how you were able to balance uh, your academics and your athletics? Because I'm sure you were just really busy with basketball, um, but you were obviously treating your academics with some high priorities. Yeah, so it was... Hey, Ruby. <laughs> um, it definitely was not easy. Um, I, I transferred high schools to the high school that Brittany Brown went to um, my sophomore year. 
because they had an IB program, um, which is International Baccalaureate, um, just uh, just accelerated a lot more. Uh, it was just it was uh, IB, yeah. Um, and so yeah, I transferred schools to to get into that program, and I think that really kind of put me on the on the path to get accepted to Stanford. I mean, people normally take AP classes and stuff like that. So the AP classes were integrated into that program. And um, yeah, that, that put me on, on the track. But there were so many other athletes in that program. So we've all, we were all kind of working together and collaborate, collaborating and making sure that we were getting things taken care of within ourselves. And I think it was kind of a model for college as well. You have your teammates that are having this game schedule. We're all in some tough classes. <laughs> And, um, but we, we found a way to work together to, to make it happen. Um, but yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. Uh, it was not easy at all. Um, but focusing on time management, definitely some late nights, but, but the time management piece was, was a big part that I had to figure out very early on. All right, little senorita. (laughs) Um, yeah, she's just wondering what we're doing with this microphone and this cord. Anything mommy does, she wants to be a part of it. And you are. Um, okay. So for people that, um, that have never been to the Stanford campus like myself and it, you know, let alone it's a world renowned university that people in all countries of the world know about so can you just tell us like describe what does it look like what does it smell like what does it feel like what does it taste like um what what's the vibe at stanford because obviously my only experience is university of minnesota i've been to other universities um but you know have never studied at another university per se so yeah what what's the stanford vibe Stanford is an exceptionally beautiful place. Um, they try to keep things modern. There's the construction going on all the time. Um, but I think that just speaks to, as a university, that they continue to try to better themselves and continue to keep the school on at the top where it is. Um, but yeah, beautiful place. I mean, the palm trees, the the architecture, the red roofs, everything is just like... Amazing. Um, driving up to kind of the, the center of the campus, there's Palm Drive. So just this long road lined with palm trees on both sides. And like that is like, I think the picture that everybody sees um, most of the time is the street with the palm trees going up to, to the main square in campus. And um, yeah, it's just beautiful. Like those are images that I don't think will ever leave my head (laughs) especially on a beautiful sunny afternoon nice 65 degree weather um I mean it just like sometimes you just have a bad day and you go outside and sit down just remember like wow I'm in this amazing place with all these amazing people um as far as the vibe I mean I think it follows the campus I mean obviously it was not easy to go to school there it's hard but I think so many there's so many amazing people and it was very I think collaborative space as well um, that unlike a lot of like Ivy schools, I think com- competition is very harsh at a lot of other places like a Harvard or a Yale. 
But at Stanford, a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds got along. Um, I mean, my my major uh, was human biology, but like we had to take classes in other other majors in order to graduate with the degree. So for me, I was kind of dipping my foot into other other um, disciplines, and that. I mean, that was amazing. Um, just to learn how other people think and learn what other people are doing, how they see the world is, it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. How many people go to Stanford and how many people would you say were in your biggest class? So I think my, for undergrad, I think it's around 17,000. I think my my class going in class of 2016 was around four and a half thousand i may be botching that though, but i think that's correct i think i hope i'm not completely incorrect we're gonna have to uh, write a little subtext on the bottom of this um uh, in the podcast description um but my biggest class yeah it was probably i would say econ one my freshman year, I'm not sure how many people were in it. Probably like 300. Oh, okay. But yeah, nothing. The thing is, there aren't like these like ginormous lecture halls at Stanford. I feel like a lot of the classes are fairly small, except for like the intro classes, like an econ one or a psych one. Um, but yeah, that, I think that was probably my biggest one. All right, just to give myself an idea, because at the University of Minnesota, I don't, I guess I don't know the exact numbers either, but 50,000 maybe um, for undergrad, so big university, but um, Stanford is not small, but it's not massive, so I bet that gave you the opportunity to really kind of get to know a lot of the other athletes um, in other sports and whatnot, which is cool. Um, Okay, so then when you decide that you're going to go to Stanford, um, I can only imagine how proud your parents were. And when you got on campus that freshman year, um, what would you say were some of the biggest adjustments for you? If, if there were big adjustments, because obviously you were very studious, uh, before you got there, but, um, was there anything that you like, weren't expecting or that surprised you or? I mean, I think more than anything, just the pace is so different. So, I mean, academically and athletically, like, uh, you have to come in. It's it, For basketball, it was a whole other level of basketball as far as just how physically, like, what was expected of me. And then also IQ-wise, like, having to go in, your Tara has her system, you need to learn the system. You need to fit into the system, you know? Um, adapting to the culture of Stanford women's basketball as well. Um, like there, Tara has been there for so long, you know, she has her, her way of doing things and you have to fit into that, like layup lines in high school, you know, you could cut it. You don't have to touch the, the half court line. If you're rebounding, you know, here you touch the half court line, you sprint through, um, just getting used to those little things, at least on the basketball court. Um, and then academically, things move fast. So Stanford is on a quarter system instead of semesters. So you're taking a class for 10 weeks. By week four, week three, week four, people are already taking midterms. By week 
seven, maybe another set of midterms, and then nine and ten, you're taking your finals. So you have two and a half months to go through an entire curriculum, which is, thinking, going back to thinking about it, it's crazy, but things just move so, so fast. So you always have to be on your toes, and that was something that was incredibly hard for me to get used to. Um, but again, I mean, I had I had a lot of help, but yeah, it was, the pace was insane (laughs) insane I can only imagine the pace and then being at that being at at a university like Stanford where the expectation academically and athletically is so high uh to be able to balance both of those things so when it came to tournament time um how what did that look like because you're traveling you're preparing you're doing scouting and you guys went really far in the NCAA tournament. So um, what did that look like from a student athlete perspective? Yeah, so my freshman year was probably our most interesting year <laughs> tournament wise. Um, I remember we were playing in Kansas for the, was it Kansas? Yes, we were playing it. Mm, yes, Kansas. We were playing in Kansas for the regional tournament. Um, and actually, no. We were playing in Kansas, but I can't remember what it was for. Yeah. yeah please, sorry. <laughs> um, but we were playing away, and and something happened with our plane, so we couldn't go back to Stanford. So we were like, look, we're, and it was around the time of finals, too, so <laughs> it, was, it was really crazy. So we couldn't go back to Stanford to take our finals, so we were going directly to the next location for, for the tournament. And I remember our academic advisor was with us and it was coming down to it. Like, are we going back to campus? Are we not going back to campus? So she just has to start blasting all of our professors with emails. Like, and this was, I think, 12 or 13 girls on the team at that point. So she's sending emails out, like trying to coordinate with our professors to get our finals, email to her protocol, all of this stuff. And we all ended up taking our finals on the road that year. Um, shout out to Shannon if you ever hear this because you girl you really rocked it and that was her first her first couple months with us too which was crazy um but yeah there are multiple times where I, I took finals in hotels um multiple times you know trying to get onto plain wi-fi to finish assignments and turn them in before time multiple times asking for extensions because like it is so crazy um, even I think my junior year, we missed probably the first three or four days of, of spring quarter because we were in the tournament still. So, I mean, missing a decent amount of class. Luckily, in season, we played Friday, Sunday. So we missed maybe a Thursday class or maybe a Friday class, but the Pac-12 schedule made things really easy. But yeah, there were definitely uh, some some crazy times uh, trying to figure things out for for finals especially um but at the same time just thinking about all of our teammates that study here in spain um at least your professors were probably on the same page and allowed for those uh exceptions um ruby Faye is eating a banana and she's getting mommy all covered with banana (laughs) Yes, you are. And you want to touch the computer and everything with your sticky little fingers. Um, so, I mean, obviously that is a, that is a benefit to all the Europeans that are listening to this. Um, 
you know, getting your four degree, four year degree at a university in the United States allows for those types of uh, exceptions and that help that you get from your professors. Uh, tell us real quick, because you were a university student athlete when COVID hit. So what did that look like? Um, that was your senior year, correct? Um, senior year at Stanford. I tell, tell me real quick just about how all that went down. How did that affect your academics and your athletics? Right. So um, we had just played the we were playing in the Pac-12 tournament. We did the championship and there were kind of like rumblings of something happening. Um, just as far as COVID happening, where it is, you know, how many cases are starting to pop up everywhere. But we were like, okay, it's fine for now. Um, And then I I think that was like the second week of March or like the end of the first week of March. Um, And then we started hearing about professional games getting canceled. Well, they, well, one, while we were at the tournament, they canceled class. Like, they were like, no in-person class. And we were like, okay, great. Like, spring break starting early. Like, we're, we're fine. Like, this is going to be great. You know, we're going back to campus. We don't have to go to class. Great. Um, and then professional games started getting canceled. And we were just getting a little more worried, a little more worried. And then I remember on, I think, like, the maybe the 12th, they started uh, saying, like, students will may have to leave. So we're like, okay, (laughs) what's going on? Um, And we kind of, I mean, at this point, like everybody, I don't think anybody understood the severity of what was about to come down because I mean, like there was a form for people that needed to, that may need to stay on campus. We're all filling out that form. Like, oh, I'm an athlete. Like I need to say, obviously I'm in season, like, come on. Um, And I remember there was this video that was like, save spring semester and like, just going around they they threw like a campus-wide party that night and everybody's going around just like save spring save spring like we could do anything about it um and then i think it was either the 14th i think it may have been march 14th that it was like tar called the meeting it was like the ncaa tournament is canceled the rest of the season is canceled um they canceled the nba season like everything kind of came down in one day and we had a meeting and she was like, look, the season's over. Get where you need to get in the next few days, but you need to leave, like, now. So it was just kind of, well, I mean, it was incredibly sad. Um, like, it was, like, our final meeting. Like, the seniors said something. The coaches said something. You know, we all kind of went around, and everybody was just, like, hugging each other and crying and, like, trying to even just process what is happening because it happened so fast. And, I mean, from then, it was just, like, flip the switch get everything out of your locker or pack up your locker, do whatever you have to do and go home. Um, luckily my family was living in Sacramento at the time and my teammate lived in Seattle. So she flew home and allowed me to, to take her car and drive home the three hours, uh, from San Francisco to, to, uh, Sacramento. Um, but it was, it was insane like we nobody knew when we were gonna be, if we were gonna be able to come back everyone's like okay it's gonna be a few weeks and then we'll be able to come home um but no it, it ended up being weeks and the weeks turned to months um at that point we were kind of and getting to the end of winter quarter um so 
people they ended up canceling a lot of finals and they just kind of gave us a grade for our classes because at that point they had to switch to online and nobody was prepared (laughs) nobody knew kind of like what what to do in that in that case so we were all just like kind of sitting at our at our laptops like waiting for emails to come through about what what was gonna happen um and then moving into spring quarter season's already canceled everything was shut down but like having to adjust from in-person classes to now being in completely online um i mean taking classes in at home me and my sister were home my sister uh was attending tennessee i think she was a sophomore at the time and like like frying the school or frying our home wi-fi because everybody's like trying to be on zoom at the same time um yeah it was just it was a crazy 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 experience to to like just everything to happen so fast and to be done with college basketball at that too it's just it was it took some time to process honestly there's some parts of it where i'm like am i have i really gotten over it but yeah it was just wow thinking back on it it's just i'm happy i got through that really and then was it two years later that you got to experience your college graduation it was just last summer right right right. so yeah they i mean they threw a zoom graduation um for us which was i mean i think with what they had they did an amazing job um but two years or last year we we were able to have our in-person graduation we did packed all of our grad activities into into a few days i think three days but i mean to go back and see all of these people that i spent four years with or three years with depending on on the class and um my friends just having having that kind of moment to kind of culminate that closure really to kind of culminate that entire experience was so so amazing i mean um i'm shout out to sanford for for thinking that it was worthwhile because i think it really was and for a lot of people like it probably provided some some serious uh healing i think uh for me definitely it did yeah, I mean, you don't go to Stanford University and then not get to go through the graduation process and throw your cap and wear your gown and take the pictures. I mean, um, okay, so graduation, did you always uh, want to go pro? Uh, was there ever like a plan B or was it like, yes, I want to try, you know, playing basketball at the next level? Um. I think it was kind of like an up and down thing. I so I got hurt my junior year and I was I started that season off really well and I got hurt, tore my ACL. So I was out until the beginning of my senior season. Um and I didn't start that season off very well either. <laughs> so um for me I was like, is this is this a possibility? what is gonna happen? Um and then around that time so around the time of conference tournaments they like the WMBA like will start sending out feelers, you know, you do your your physical if you want to enter your name into the draft. So I ended up doing that and was like, okay, whatever happens, happens. Uh, and then COVID hit. So I was like, okay, what's going to happen now? I mean, I'm at home. I don't know kind of if people were going to go overseas just because the situation was so fluid and volatile at the time. Um, but once I started people started seeing people like signing, I was like, okay, I guess it's... It, it can happen. Um, 
And I ended up signing with an agent in the end of July, which is so late for people who know when you normally sign contracts or even sign with an agent. And I was able to get on a team in August. And I mean, shout out to my agents for that, because like I can't imagine that kind of situation at that point. Um, all right. So you get that your first professional contract and, um, it's been three years since then. And in those three years you have experienced, um, what life is like on three different professional teams, um, here in Spain and in another continent, which you'll tell us about in just a little bit. But, um, what would you say to the younger players listening to this podcast? Just uh, the mentality that they should have going to a professional club overseas. Uh, because you're coming from the Pac-10. You're coming from Stanford. You're coming from a place with so many resources, so much money. Um, you know, universities in the United States, they just they have a lot of money thanks to their other sports uh, teams like football or basketball or hockey. And... Um, student athletes are afforded and given such luxuries when it comes to travel, when it comes to gear, when it comes to meals. Um, so then you go overseas and you're not at Stanford university anymore. So how do you adjust to that? And what type of mentality do you think that uh, young players aspiring to go overseas should bring with them um, so that they enjoy themselves and they are successful in their first year? I mean, I definitely think that you have to understand that everything that we had in college probably is not a necessity. They're great things to have, like all the gear deals and um, just everything. <laughs> I mean, the travel, all the stuff that we had is great, but you don't need it. Um, so I think coming, coming in with the expectation that, yes, there's it's going to be very different. Um, it's a very different lifestyle. Um, but also coming, I think with a, with an attitude of trying to be as grateful as you can every day. I mean, like there are situations that can be worse, (laughs) honestly. So taking account for, for the little things every day that, that happen that are, are good and the situations that you are in that are positive. Um, and another thing I, that I think has been beneficial for me is trying to work on relationships, um, trying to build relationships with the people that you see every day, not just your teammates, not just the coaching staff, but the people that work at your club or the fans, if you can communicate with them, because I know sometimes that's also very difficult. Um, but I, I think building fruitful relationships with people that are around you kind of like helps take a little bit of the edge off, especially when basketball does get frustrating because it will. Um, I mean, I'm super grateful to have people like you to have people like my neighbors that I can, which is crazy to me that I ended up next to an Englishman and two American women (laughs) in the city. Um, But just finding those people that you can, you can, you know, really rely on or just have a friendship with outside of basketball changes things um or just building relationships with your teammate it change your teammates changes so much um and it keeps you grateful it keeps you 
you know. Uh oh. <laughs> First baby accident, but we're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Those things just definitely, definitely keep you grateful. Um, so, yes, I don't know if that's like my best advice. Yeah, it's different. You'll adjust, but just come in with an, a mindset that is open and and willing to to make some changes for sure. Uh, I love it. I think making relationships is definitely a huge part and it has been for me over the years because it just makes the day-to-day grind that much easier when you actually have people that you care about and you enjoy seeing um, every day. So uh, that kind of leads me into my next question is what in the free time that you have had over the last three years, um, have you been able to do anything in that free time to... Uh, take a break from basketball, get away, whether it's studying, whether it's working, whether it's, you know, taking Spanish classes. Um, what have you been up to in your free time? Yeah. So, I mean, my first year, I think I was just so focused on <laughs> like adjusting. <laughs> I didn't do too much. Um, but last year I, I worked. Um, I had an internship with a, a tech startup that uh, created an app for mental health, which was an amazing experience for me. And it was kind of like my first actual like working experience. Um, but that was such a fun time and, and so fulfilling to, to be working with other athletes that were are very passionate about, about mental health. Um, so that was probably like the most the biggest thing that I've done. But other than that, just reading, I think spending time trying to explore Madrid and, you know, like, I I think my my dad talks a lot about opportunity costs when it comes to, you know, continuing my career basketball-wise or having a career in the States and being able to live in Europe for for pretty much free is um, amazing. (laughs) So, you know, trying to take advantage of that as much as possible. Um, this year I've been doing a lot of cooking, a lot of baking, which has been really fun. Um, just trying to expand my, my repertoire. Um, but yeah, just finding little things that are, are, that I enjoy to get away from basketball, um, I think makes playing easier in, in a lot of cases. And um, I'm sure people are probably wondering, what, where did Nadia play? Well, your first year overseas, you were in Paterna, and that was like the sister team or the, well, maybe not sister team. What's it's, it's like the second league. The second league associated with Valencia Basket. Uh, so you were playing in the second division, but then you were also practicing with like the first team, which I mean that's pretty cool because they uh, are one of the best teams in the Spanish league. And we could also say on a European level. Um, so you were there in Valencia and then you spent the last two years in Madrid. And um, during the summer, uh, what have you done recently? Because the Spanish league finishes around now. So in April, if your team goes all the way, you might go to the beginning of May. But otherwise, you've got May, June, July, August. You've got four months to be staying in shape and getting yourself ready for the next season. So um, what did you do last summer, Nadia? Tell us. So last summer, I played um, the first LMBPF season in Mexico, which is a new league they just started and that is continuing this year. 
Um, I was blessed to be able to play with Erica Carter, who was my teammate here last year, our teammate here last year, and uh, Joy Adams. We were the two, or as people listening to this podcast would probably know them as they played in the, the um, here in Spain. Um, but yeah, it just, I mean, it was, in, I think, an incredible experience, especially for the first year. Our team was made of some amazing women that I'm very proud and happy to call my friends now. Um, and we won a championship, so you can't really beat that. I mean, it was a, a tough seven-game series against a really good team that uh, featured Nay Atkinson, who played on Raski. Um, but yeah, just, it was hot. It was tough. Um but it was so it was it was really fulfilling and I mean winning the championship of course makes things better but it was really nice to just have something over the summer keep you in shape you're playing games you're staying staying sharp and I think playing with the the girls I was able to play with I made me better um over the summer so I was happy for that experience what's the basketball culture like in Mexico did you guys have a lot of fans um was the arena comparable to I don't know something that we would play in here in Spain or like a a university gym back home um and because you were coming from Spain were people able to understand your Spanish and were you able to understand their Spanish because obviously we're speaking of two different continents the accent I'm sure is way different and um Spanish is spoken differently uh in Mexico than it is in here in Spain so, yeah, let's just get the language out of the way first. So it was definitely different, and I was definitely made fun of for my little lisp, my Spanish lisp. Um, but yeah, it was it was very interesting, kind of going. I I felt like I you know I thought my Spanish was rocking when I left Madrid last season, and I get there and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what y'all are saying. <laughs> it's very different, and I think the uh, kind of mix of English and Spanish is also really interesting. But I mean, proximity wise, it makes so much sense um but yeah mexico was different than what i thought I, I feel like there are a lot of good gyms there um not a bunch of air conditioning which was really tough in the summer but the gyms were were good i think in the the i think our gym holds around f- well the gym of the team i played on holds around four thousand, maybe a little more than that um and then where we played at for the finals, we played against a team in Chihuahua, which is in the north. Um, I think we were close to 10,000 people. It was sold out for the finals. We went to a game seven. It was an incredible atmosphere. Like people really came out for for the women um, at, and to be the first year of the league and to be selling out a, a game six and a game seven for a final series. I mean, they did an amazing job. I think the teams did a really good job of promoting the league, um, promoting their teams. I mean, they already have an established men's league, so a lot of the women's teams were partnered with a men's team. Um, but some incredible turnouts. Um, and fans were really, really excited. Like, after every, all games, people asking for autographs and um, buying jerseys, buying gear. Like, it was incredible. So I'm excited to see kind of where the league goes. I know there are a lot of women that are going this year. They've already expanded the league, which we need to do in the WBA. Um, anyway, but <laughs> that's a side note. But they've already expanded the league, added three teams. So it's really going to be interesting how how that changes. Yeah, three teams. So now I think the league is at 11 teams total. 
Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how that grows Mexican women's basketball. Um, and, and just how that changes, I think, a lot of people's options, especially for the summer. Were your Mexican teammates uh, just playing basketball or were a lot of them working and playing at the same time? There were a few, probably actually, I think maybe only one or two that play basketball only. Um, everyone else had a job on the side. Um, I think they were, there were a few that were even had jobs in the States <laughs> and they had to work um, remote. And I mean, we're like sometimes had to like just run over to toggle their computer <laughs> mouse so they would stay, they would stay like in, in, like at work during practice um but i mean i think the team really helped them in like allowing giving them the time to actually like you know do their jobs um but yeah it was incredible to see the dedication that a lot of my teammates had to want to play and to play um even though they had completely separate lives um i mean i think that's something that i'm very fortunate that i I can have a choice of whether I want to work or not. And for a lot of people, especially in certain leagues, that's not it's not an option. I mean, even here, some of our our my teammates work or they're in school. Um, and I mean, I think that's up to the leagues, especially, I mean, to get funding, but up to the leagues to really, you know, be professional and have, you know, minimums that are are sustainable for for female athletes and hopefully we'll be seeing some more uh of that next year in the Liga Femenina Endesa here in Spain um okay getting to the end of the interview because I don't know how much longer this little lady is gonna let us continue how do you think living overseas uh working overseas has um contributed to your personal growth as a human being I think definitely you spend so much time away from your family and so much time away from things you're so familiar with that you really kind of like have to look yourself in the mirror. Um, you spend a lot of time alone if you're like in your apartment and you know, you go home after practice and you're home um, by yourself or you're home with a roommate and you kind of have to come to terms with who you are as a person, you know, what things am I going to do to fill my time? You know, how am I going to try and build relationships with other people? Um, so I think uh, just a lot of growth and maturity and coming into my own. Um, also, I mean, being in Europe, life is so different than being in America or in the United States. And I mean, you're just exposed to different culture, different ways of thinking, different ways of life. And I think it has made me like, luckily, I mean, my dad's military, so I was afforded you know, the opportunity to live in another country when I was young, but to really be here and doing it alone and actually like being in the culture, I think it is, it has really changed how I see things. And, you know, from the way I talk to the food I eat, like <laughs> just everything has, has changed. And it's made me so excited to, to, you know, have my family experience that. You know, uh, luckily my my family was able to visit me this year and it was such an amazing experience for me to be able to share, you know, this part of my life with them. Um, but yeah, just so much, just learning, learning different ways of, of life. And I think it is, it's 
almost a necessity for people to really like get out of wherever you're from. I know it's for a lot of people financially, it's extremely difficult, but it really changes everything. Um, so yeah, definitely just changing my outlook on life and, and being able to build relationships with other people, um, has, has changed, (laughs) changed everything really. Oh, I'm getting emotional over here. That's so beautiful. Um, okay. And now that we are getting to the end, uh, who knows where you'll be playing basketball next year. Uh, but you know, whether it's in Spain, whether it's in another country, who knows to be determined, but, um, what can you tell our listeners about, uh, this club Movistar Estudiantes where you have played the last two years? Um, what has it meant to you? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I I was at the game last night and I'm telling you people, the gym was packed. The, uh, the dementia, which is a group of like hooligans that are there cheering. They're yelling the whole game. I can't understand all their chants and cheers. I wish I did, but, um, yeah, the, the Liga Femenina Endesa here in Spain is one of the best, most competitive leagues in Europe. Um, and so, yeah, Nadia, if you could just give uh, our listeners a quick peek uh, into your life as what the last two years have looked like. And, um, yeah. I'm going to get emotional. Um, <laughs> you know, the past two years have been nothing short of a blessing. I mean, being in Madrid, having a... Um, a club in the city has been amazing Um, just to be able to explore being able to leave Madrid even and just the ease and traveling to other places Um, but Estudiantes okay so um, yeah it's been an incredible two years there are so many people that work for the club that have been lifelong fans of the club so many players um, that are just still around and and love the club with so much passion um and it made it so even when times were tough and even when we weren't doing super well as a team or if I wasn't doing well just like feeling that support made it so much easier to play here oh boy um yeah last night was really something so so special I mean we packed out (laughs) Magrinos with the extra seating and everything and the fans were so loud and so into it from the beginning um and it just made it like just oh like (laughs) I don't there are really no words to describe you know how it's been and you know this year I've there have been fans that were able to travel with us to Euro Cup games and you know just as in my second year you know seeing the same faces over and over again and being able to like talk to little girls um thankfully my Spanish is getting a little better (laughs) but being able to talk to little girls talk to families talk to fans that you know love the club and come to love us as players um and as people I mean it's been so incredible um and I wouldn't trade this club or for anything and I wouldn't trade the past two years for anything um and yeah wow um it's it's been amazing it's truly they say that the club is a family and i truly truly believe that uh nadia's getting all teary-eyed on me over here but um yeah and nadia i think you've left your mark as well on estudiantes and um you know people are gonna wish you nothing but the best and uh we're just very fortunate to have crossed paths with you um last year my 
my last year kind of playing and uh, Nadia's first year in Madrid. But um, all right. So the last couple questions that are just kind of fun, funny that I always ask. Um, what was your favorite board game as a little girl? And what was your favorite like little television show as a little girl? Okay. Favorite board game. It's not really a board game, but Rummy Cube is like big in our family. Like with the tiles, it's like a rummy, gin rummy style game. Okay. Um, but yeah, huge in our family. Like we take uh, the the game everywhere we go and it's like our thing to like lead the game, you know? Like we teach the people, like going to a family reunion, we teach everybody the game and then we leave the game there and we just go home and buy another one. But it gets like tooth and nail competitive in our house and I love it. It's my favorite thing ever. Um, and then, ooh, my favorite TV show. That is a great question. Um, I'm gonna, I mean, this came out like a little later, but I'm gonna have to go with Avatar, The Last Airbender. Great show. I don't know. I could still watch the entire series through today. I mean, it's something that like has spanned I think the difference between me and my youngest sibling is 10 years and it spans across all of us. We love the show. We all watch it, watch it together. We'll rewatch it 1800 times and it doesn't matter. It's like watching it from the beginning again. Um, But that was like, that was probably the most pervasive show from my childhood. Okay. Uh, I can't say that I've ever seen it. So I'm feeling very old. (laughs) Um, And now tell me, what are some things or just something that you always put in your suitcase when you travel overseas? Like, is there anything that you feel like you can't buy over here, even though Amazon is now pretty much everywhere? But um, yeah, do you do you bring something? Oh, I think. Oh, well, big thing. Um, (laughs) Like black hair products (laughs) i mean it's a necessity there you know you never know i mean being in madrid again capital of spain like they're obviously very a diverse place like there are places to find things but you never know so you always take it with you because if you don't find it i'm gonna be looking real crazy (laughs) for for eight months um so yeah black hair products natural hair products are a necessity in my suitcase You are not the first interviewee to say that. Um, And last but not least, what are three things that are on your bedside table? Um, I would say my laptop, which I really shouldn't put next to my next to my bed, Um, but a laptop, a bottle of water. And like my Bible slash journals. Awesome. Awesome. Stay hydrated. Gotta stay hydrated. Um, Well, Nadia Fingal, I am so blessed. I feel so blessed. I'm so happy that we finally um, got together and were able to do this. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add or that I want to ask. I mean, we could talk for hours, but... um, yeah, I really appreciate you, and I need to take a picture, if I can find my phone, of you with this microphone and little Ruby Faye just trying to, uh, you know, disrupt you while you're speaking. But, um, yeah, thank you for your time, and best of luck next season, wherever wherever <laughs> basketball takes you. Thank you, Leslie, again. You know, it is an absolute honor to be here with you and Miss Ruby Faye, my little my little shoddy. 
<laughs> I know. Thank you so much. And yeah, hope to see you soon. <laughs> All right. That's a wrap. And that wraps it up with Nadia Fingal. What an absolute gem she is. Am I right? Young, motivated, open-minded, respectful, curious, and willing to put in the work. All the right ingredients for a successful, fulfilling, and exciting career overseas. The future is bright for you, Shadi, and I'm so excited to continue cheering you on and watching you grow. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star review. This one-woman show is trying to do the best she can, and your support would truly make my day. And other than that, I wish you all a safe and healthy week. Until next time, hasta luego!